0: This episode of Parenting for Liberation deals with a very serious and sensitive topic, Black youth suicide. We genuinely care for you, our listeners and our community, and we want to make sure that you take care of yourself as you listen. We know that this is a heavy conversation for so many of us. So if you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental health concerns, please do not hesitate to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 so that you can be connected with a trained counselor or you can visit their website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org.
1: Hey y'all, this is Trina and this is our Hot Take. May is Mental Health Awareness Month and we really want to spend this episode talking about a very touchy issue, a subject that's impacting our babies at high rates that a lot of folks don't know about, Black youth suicide. Did you know that in the last 20 years, Black youth suicide rates increased by 73%? Oof, when I heard that number, I immediately got worried and got nervous. And it's not just teenagers, y'all. It's our babies. Under 12 years old, Black babies are attempting suicide at two times the rate of their peer's And so we got to do something about this. And we've seen these high profile, you know, celebrity deaths by suicide in the black community. And I know that the black people always be like, that's black people don't commit suicide. We don't do that. But we are. And the rates are high. And if we keep denying that we do it, we can't get in front of it and try to prevent it. And we can't understand what is causing this increased rise in our black young people who are attempting suicide and committing suicide. And just as a parent, you know, when I hear the stories from the parent perspective who said, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I had no idea that my kid was suicidal. I had no idea. I didn't even know. And I'm like, I want to be the parent that knows. I want to know. And so when my teenager comes home from school and says shit like, how was your day? And he's like, good. And I'm like, so how was school? Fine. Anything interesting happen? Nah, just the same I start getting worried. Like, boy, why are you not telling me what's going on? Because I know that that's one of the signs, right? And so I feel like we have to know the signs. We have to be alert. We have to um, check in with our kids, right? And and have these conversations. Um, It's important to have these conversations. And so I wanted to bring on a doctor who could talk to us about what are the signs, how can we prevent it, and what's what's possibly driving these rates. And and one of the ideas is that some of this overexposure to information through social media and having access to everything on a phone, right? All that information is coming in and that information is overwhelming. I remember when Philando Castile was murdered and then Alton Sterling was murdered right after him. I refused to watch the videos because I had already been traumatized too much by the deaths of black people at the hands of law enforcement, right? And I was like, In this doing this work, so much, I I refused to watch the videos. I said, I'm not going to watch this trauma porn. I'm not going to watch this death of Black people. So I made a commitment. No idea that my teenage daughter, right? My stepdaughter had access to it and had watched it. And so she came home one day and was asking me, because she knows the work that I do. She's like, hey, have you seen that? Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Did you see it? And I'm like, no, I refuse to see it. And I'm like, girl, did you see it? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So then we process it together, right? We talk about it at the dinner table. But it was in that moment that I was like, damn, we can't protect our kids from this information. So we have to give them the tools and the skills to be able to process it, um, to be able to, understand what it is and also to not have them be so worried and concerned and thinking it could be them because you know honestly our kids worry about that stuff as much as we're worried about keeping our kids safe our kids are worried and so we want to make sure that we provide our kids the tools and the resources to process that fear and worry and that anxiety make sure that they have the help that they need and so this episode is is for those kids who say they're fine and okay and for those kids who see things online and experience all this trauma because our babies are witnessing and experiencing it. So it's time for us to wrap our arms around our babies, to pull them into us and to make sure they're okay. And so this episode, we're talking to Dr. Rhonda Boyd, who's a psychologist who does this work, who's been doing the research, who knows the data, to talk to us about what's causing these increased rates, um, and what can we do about it? How can parents be um active in making sure that their kids have the supports that they need? And so This is an important episode. It is heavy. So, um, you know, we are talking about suicide. So I do encourage folks to to make sure that they have what they need as they're listening, right? If you need to pause the episode, if you need to to put your feet on the ground, if you need to breathe, like make sure you take care of yourself because Black parents will also hear on the episode that our mental health and well-being can impact and be connected to our children's mental health and well-being. So we got to take care of ourselves too, Black parents. So as you listen... Make sure you get what you need to feel well, and um, let's do this work together, folks, so that we can make sure that we can decrease these rates of suicide attempts, um, and we can make sure that our babies have the supports that they need to thrive and to live. All right. Check it out. Raising Black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a Black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast, and I am your host, Trina Green Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated.
2: Wake up, hey,
1: y'all. No on this episode of Parenting day for Liberation, I'm speaking with Dr. Rhonda Boyd, a psychologist in the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Boyd's research focuses on depression among youth and perinatal women. She has a line of research examining maternal depression among women of color and their children and developing preventative interventions aimed at these families. She also contributed to and served on the Congressional Black Caucus's Emergency Task Force on Black Youth Suicide and Mental Health, who released a report called Ring the Alarm, the Crisis of Black Youth Suicide in America. Thank you, Dr. Boyd, for joining us today.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I'm always pleased to uh, talk about mental health.
1: Yes, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so it's really timely And also we've just experienced and witnessed a lot of deaths by suicide um, recently in the public sector, specifically around Black young people, Black young adults. Um, And so it's important for us to have this conversation. Um, And as the report that you contributed is called, it's time to ring the alarm. It's time for us to talk about this in our community. So I appreciate you for the work that you do um, and for joining us to share some information with our parents and our audience about things that we can do as parents to raise our own awareness to try to prevent this, to get in front of this and really um, address the issue of our youth mental health in the black community. So thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: So you're a researcher and a clinician, right? So you see young people day to day and you also assess data. So so you know what it looks like on paper and in real life. Um, and so in yeah. this report, Ring the Alarm, it revealed data that the suicide rate Um, among Black youth is increasing faster than any other racial group. And so to get us started in looking at the numbers, um, please tell us what what that report reveals. What is that data and what's going on with our babies?
2: That data showed in that report, we were looking at some recent data showing that Black youth suicide had increased and particularly among, there was a study that came out a few years ago that showed that for young black children under 12, their rates of death by suicide was twice as high as white their white counterparts. And that was shocking when I saw that study a few years ago because we tend to not think of young children killing themselves. And so it made us realize that there was more um, that we need to know. There was also a study that came out about two years ago looking at high school students and this is a national data set looking at high school that's represented across the country and they show that black adolescents um, their rate of increasing uh, suicide attempts had been increasing at a higher rate as well as having injury from those attempts and so we looking at the data decided that we need to pull together all that we know and to see what is going on. One recent um, study that came out, um, looking at COVID, because I do think some of these things we need to take into account, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. that from 2019 to 2020, um, they looked at the um, nationally um, death rates. Overall in our population from 2019 to 2020, death rates by suicide had decreased, however, for Black youth, 15 to 24, their rates have significantly increased. So there's a lot that we need to still understand with this data.
1: Yes. Ooh, those That data and those numbers are heartbreaking to know that our babies, even the young babies under 12, are dying two times higher than their peers. Um, and yeah, I can't even imagine the impact of COVID, Right. And, and we're just learning these numbers, right? We just learned the numbers like right before COVID. So I can't even imagine what the numbers are looking like post-COVID considering how impactful that, how much grief we witnessed during COVID, how we're all stuck in the house and that isolation, being away from friends and peers, um, and also witnessing so much violence, right? So I can only imagine the numbers, Um and you said we have to kind of understand this data. Are there any theories about why? Why are Black children under 12 dying at higher rates by suicide? Why are our teenagers ages 15 to 24 increasing when everyone else's suicide rates are decreasing? Why Black children? Why now? Is there data? Is there research? Or is there more research to be done to understand?
2: There's more research to be done. One of the things is recently... Uh an announcement came out through the National Institute of Mental Health just within the last month to actually look at risk and protective factors for Black youth suicide risk. Because we don't know exactly why there's theories. We understand that there's risk factors in general for suicide. Some of those apply to Black youth when you think about depression, anxiety, lack of family support, bullying, community violence exposure. However, we don't fully understand what is unique about why this these rates are increasing. We know, Black youth are exposed to racism, trauma more higher than other groups, early uh, childhood um, negative events. And so we need to put all of this together and really understand and really focus on Black youth. Most of the research has focused on youth in general. Um, Black youth have always been considered low risk for um, suicide.
1: Mm we've always been considered low risk and then we see we find out that our numbers are actually increasing. I'm curious why people assume we're low risk especially given what you just said about the experiences of racism and bullying and the trauma, right? Um yes. and you would think, right? folks folks will look back and be say cuz data shows that between 1991 and 2017 that suicide attempts rose by 73% for black youth um, and injury by attempts rose by 122% for black adolescent boys during that time, right? So that's in like the last 25 years or so. And if you look back on the last 25 years or so, you'll be like, well, black folks have had a lot of progress, right? We had our first black president. We have all these wealthy celebrities like Oprah. You know, like black folks are doing good. We've progressed. We've had the civil rights gains, Right. So you wouldn't assume that at the same time that we're progressing and growing on the public front that our babies, our children, our young people are being impacted, Um, their mental health is under attack. So if suicide um, has increased... But we've seen a lot of progress. How, how do we make sense of that? How how are we how are we missing this? Is it because we're dismissing the pain? I hear a lot of folks say, like, oh, young people now have it easier than we had back in the day. I hear I do hear people saying that, right? Like, because of all of the gains, because of all of the access, because of resources, you might assume black children are doing better than they than we were or than our ancestors were or our elders, where our previous generations were, right? Like we didn't grow up in the intense, you know, uh, you know, at times of like Reconstruction, or Jim Crow laws, or with the KKK burning, you know, crosses, right? So people might say that children nowadays have it easier, but the data is showing otherwise. Are we dismissing the pain that our children are experiencing? What are they experiencing that's increasing?
2: So. I think we haven't been tapped into, as you're saying, what has gone on with our youth. Particularly, there's been a lot of discussion with, as you say, recent celebrities talking about mental health, also about uh, suicide. But in a sense, in our community, we've often been told to be strong, to hold things in. And I think with these younger kids, we cannot just assume that they should be, as the other generations, holding the pain and keep moving um and so general relation generationally it's different and so these you still experience racism it didn't end there's still structural issues that go on where you know there are certain neighborhoods people you keep hearing um black families may not be able to get loans in certain neighborhoods these things are still going on that impact our kids Black wealth is still, there's still disparity with Black wealth overall. And it actually hasn't even improved at all over these last 50 years when you look at just wealth in total compared to white um, families. So there is still significant problems. There was a recent study right before the pandemic that came out that followed Black teenagers. And they found that they experienced five incidents of racism every day. And this could be five incidents a day. And that could be in person, witnessing it all online. And one of the things, youth are being exposed to racism and violence online, much more than previously. And so, as you know, things go viral. And so they are constantly being exposed. They watch the videos over and over and over again. And there was a study showing that actually, youth who saw these online videos, um, Black and Latino youth who saw racism occurring to their own um, people in their culture actually had higher levels of depression and post traumatic stress symptoms by watching videos like that. So I always encourage kids to not continue to watch them. I know, especially for the older kids, teenagers, they want to know what's going on. I do understand that that's helpful to see the video one time. But I do discourage people from watching it over and over again, because it is traumatizing.
1: Yes, it's so true. Five times, our kids are experiencing racism five times a day. And I definitely can see that that is possible. It could even be higher. As you said, it's on their phone. It's with them at school, especially in communities where kids are the onlys at school or the only black kid in their class, right? So they're experiencing that. Yes. Um, and as you said online, I, you know, that story that you said about kids watching videos over and over or witnessing things online, that definitely happened to me, Um my stepdaughter, I chose when Philando Castillo and Alton Sterling were murdered within days of each other by law enforcement, I refused to watch the videos because I had seen too many black people being murdered. And I said, I am no longer watching them. So I made a vow to stop watching them, to not even click play. And and I didn't even think that my stepdaughter you know, would have watched it or would have come across her screen. And so she brought it up at the dinner table She asked me if I had seen it. And because I wanted to be able to support her and talk to her and be there for her, I had to watch the video. And when I found out that she had watched it, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, our children are getting access to information. And I remember growing up, our parents would withhold information from us, right? They wouldn't tell us that so-and-so died or passed away. You know, they would just kind of keep it. Um, And I don't know if that was helpful or not because, you know, they didn't include us and have the conversation. So we couldn't actually speak about or talk about our feelings. So that may not be helpful as to withhold it. But as a parent, you don't necessarily want your kids to see these types of things on a regular basis because you do know that it impacts their mental health. And so um, it's true. Our kids are having access. And so as parents, we have to I don't know what we have to do. I'm going to ask you, (laughs) what can we do? Um,
2: We have to monitor what they see. You do have to look at their phones. You need to have these conversations, as you say, at the dinner. I think that's wonderful, hearing conversations at the dinner table. (laughs) It's great because that's what you need to do. Talk about it. Help them process it. They are not going to be able to avoid it, um, these videos at all. But they don't have to keep watching it. And you have to help them process what's going on because it's, lar- it's larger issues about their own safety. If right. something happened to you know, their father, their uncle, their brother, kids are worrying about these things. And so you have to have these conversations to help them process how to handle um, kind of racial socialization strategies, what to do in these racial situations and how to understand them for yourself and be okay.
1: Yeah. It's so important to have these conversations with our babies and to process these things. And I think, unfortunately for some parents, some adults, right, who may have grown up in a generation before where it was like, we don't talk about these things. So we just suck it up. We just stay strong. We just, you know, hold it together. Um, they don't, that that generation may not have the skills or the tools to process it with their children because they have never processed those things with themselves And it makes me think about your research um, about the connections between maternal depression and um, children's behaviors. Do you want to speak to the intergenerational piece around this? Like us as parents having to do the work first, right? That's why at Parenting for Liberation, we do a lot of healing justice work for parents and provide, you know, we've provided support for folks to get access to mental health experts, um, to have resources to healers. Because I do know that we have to do our work first as parents. So do you want to speak to some of the research that you do that shows the interconnections between parent or um, maternal mental health?
2: Yes. So as you mentioned, there's an intergenerational impact. So I'm seeing maternal depression, but also fathers. Mm -hmm. When there's a family history of depression, anxiety, other mental health issues, those things impact children. And that could be, there's a genetic component to it, but there's also a family environment of parenting. It does impact your parenting. So when a parent, mother or father has depression, they may not have the capacity to fully parent to their best ability. They may um, be more irritable with their kid. They may have trouble disciplining. They may be angry, they may withdraw. And so kids, it impacts the parent-child relationship, which then can impact how kids function, they are higher risk of depression, anxiety. And also um, we looked at, um, you were about to say something? No, ma'am. Okay, sorry. Um, we, were, um, we looked at in a study of um, family history of suicide, though so ideation behaviors, and we found that if there's a family history that kids were more likely to also endorse suicide or ideation behavior. So suicide can also um, have a familial component and a generational component. So parents do have to work on themselves to be better because it's hard. Uh, many times I've talked to parents and they talk about the difficulty it is to sometimes even get out of bed to parent. And then if they have a child with mental health problems, it's overwhelming. And then many times parents focus on their kids and do what's best for them and they neglect themselves. And so they're not taking care of their physical or mental health for their kids, but they have to be at their best so that they can show their children and parent better.
1: Yeah, that's so important. We often talk about at parenting for liberation the importance of self-care. We have a program that's running right now um, called Put Your Own Mask On, um, and it's it alludes to when you get on an airplane, how it tells you to put your own mask on first before you put it on small children and elders, um, <clears throat> and a lot of parents are like, I could never put the mask on myself first. I definitely have to put it on my child first. Like, what kind of parent would put themselves before their children, and there's a reason why they say that because we need to be able to be alive and well and healthy in order to take care of our children. Um, and so similarly in the mental health, we have to make sure that we are good. We have to do the work. We have to seek help. We have to seek therapy. Um, we have to seek counseling. We can't just, you know, black people, we can't just pray about it and pray that it goes away. You know, we have to do the work and, um, I'm curious <clears throat> from your perspective as someone who has seen young people come into your clinic um, and Whitney, witnessing, what what are some of the warning signs? How can parents even identify um, if their children are experiencing this? And, I, and I'll say for me, right? I have a, a teenager um, and teenage life is where they come home and you say, how was school? And they say, good. And you say, how was your day? And they say, fine. Um, And then they just want to go to their room and talk to their friends or they want to like kind of be on their own. It's, It's the age where they individuate, right, and separate from the parent and go try to do their own thing. So what do you think parents could do in those instances?
2: So as you mentioned, it is normal for teenagers to separate from their families, spend more time with their peers, be alone more. So we you know, normal things you expect what, you know, as a parent, I always say parents, they live with their children, they know them best. And so if you notice an ex- ex- extreme change that they, they are sadder more, they don't seem interested in things they used to do activities that now they don't do anymore, that they seem really anxious, you can notice more maybe physical symptoms, headaches, stomach aches, Something seems off. If they ever say they wanna die, please take them seriously. Anything, sometimes maybe it's in the middle of an argument, maybe it's something they want. Sometimes pe- parents may think that their kid is just saying that. But I do think in the instance, you should take it seriously. Um, there's other things that go on. Sometimes kids, um, they may start using substances more alcohol, drugs, become aggressive, those kind of things you wanna see what is happening more. And even if your child doesn't wanna talk to you that day, I keep trying to figure out what's going on. And you can check, sometimes there's this belief that if you ask a kid, are you thinking about dying? Are you thinking about killing yourself that that will make them do it? That's a myth, that is not true, there's no evidence. So you can be frank and just ask your child, are they having these thoughts? It is something to be aware of. And also you mentioned before about celebrity uh, deaths and sometimes things in the media, if your child has been exposed to someone dying by suicide, either someone in their school neighborhood or media, it could be someone that they follow, on social media youtuber i would actually make sure you have those conversations because there's something called suicide contagion and so once someone knows about know someone who has died by suicide that increased their risk of maybe having those thoughts or attempting themselves and so you want to keep a pulse on those things
1: wow i didn't even know there was such thing as suicide contagion um... You mentioned a couple of times um, the celebrity part of it, and I know that there are celebrities who are trying to raise awareness, right? I think about Taraji P. Henson and other celebrities who've tried to call attention to the increase in suicide rates amongst Black young people, um, and it seems like we're still just not talking about it, right? Um, I Yeah, I don't feel like I'm hearing these conversations happening in the families. I'm not hearing these conversations happening in the Black church, in the black communities that that often and, and with this dramatic, drastic rise in rates among our children, how are we missing this? Is there something to the work that you're doing to kind of understand the cultural like lack of knowledge or is there a fear of talking about this um, when you talk to parents? What do you notice? Is it a lack of resources? I know that you said that there's not a lot of research specifically about black young people or black children, like why, why don't we talk about this and why don't we know and why isn't this, why aren't we bringing the alarm? Why isn't, why isn't this like a national conversation that we're having?
2: There are more people talking about it than have been before, just in case that we're talking about it now. It's just, it needs to permeate throughout all our communities. There has always been a stigma about mental health in the black community. I think it's less than it used to be, but we still need to kind of make it an everyday conversation about these issues. There's a belief, as you say sometimes, of, oh, it's not as bad as before. Parents are the gatekeepers to get their kids into treatment. And so parents have to be on board until the kid is at least you know, a young adult. Some states you can get mental health treatment before 16 on your own, but that's probably not as typical, so we need to have these conversations in schools, in sports, in the church, in community centers, everywhere that youth are, to have these conversations um, about youth and actually the adults too, because I think we're missing the boat with the adults too in our community.
1: Hmm. For sure, and we talked about the intergenerational piece of it. So we need to be dealing and addressing our adults as well as our young people. You mentioned that parents are the gateway to getting our kids' treatment, um, and I wanted to tease that out a little bit more. Um, what you know, what are folks' options if their kids do, if they do notice something, if they do notice their kid is not eating as much, or doesn't want to participate in as many activities, or seems more sad, or seems more irritable, or more aggressive. Um, if a parent notices these signs, you know, what, what can we do?
2: There are multiple things. First, you could go to um, primary care doctor. There are actually been a lot more resources um, put aside about um, in primary care, but your primary care doctor may have some resources. They may actually have them in the center. Uh, many places are actually now trying to integrate behavioral health with primary care. And so there may be resources with your primary care. You can also look uh, you know, on your insurance card and see sort of who is available for mental health treatment. If you want to go specifically to mental health, sometimes the schools also have resources. And there's a couple bills that hopefully will when they be passed. One that's focusing on actually increasing mental health services in schools. And some schools have school counselors, school psychologists. And those being embedded in these systems like primary care in the school are more natural. And these are places where kids go anyway, and that takes away some of the stigma.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you brought up schools a couple of times. In our last episode, we discussed the role of school and education, um, particularly last episode we are talking about for children who are neurodivergent, um, and we discussed this video um, where a child who's neurodivergent, who's on, who's autistic, was being bullied and the staff didn't do anything to to help or to step in. And <clears throat> we talked about the lack of protection for black children and the ways that schools handle our children, right? Like they might see issues as bad behavior that leads to school push out or suspension rates. And we know that black children um, and youth are suspended at higher rates, are expelled at higher rates than their peers. And so I'm curious if schools are actually equipped... Um, And what can schools do better? Because I know that they label a lot of the behavior as, you know, just discipline issues or behavioral issues without actually looking at our children as whole and seeing that there might be something wrong. Um, So how can schools better support our children and what do they need um, to be equipped with to help address the needs of our children?
2: They they need more mental health providers in the schools, but I I do agree. I think more than in schools that overall in mental health settings and other settings that black youth may be mislabeled more that we are missing depression uh, is viewed as more aggressive behavior and so i do think kids who are maybe have trauma and depression in the school system may be labeled as an externalizing you know bad kid and pushed into behavioral problem, instead of actually addressing their mental health. And so we need to educate providers about what things look like for black children. And also we need more diverse workforce. So only about 4% of psychologists are black. And I think it's pretty low for other providers, social workers. And so we do need to increase the workforce. And so that we can address the diverse needs of our youth.
1: Wow. Only 4%? Yes. And is that the workforce that actually supports Black children? Because I know that there's only certain experts who like work with young people or with children, you know?
2: So that's just in general. So those people may not even focus on kids. They may actually not even see patients.
1: Right. So wow. Kids,
2: they may be teachers. So that is Things there, there is a huge issue with sort of increasing the diversity of the workforce, and particularly increasing people who can see children and adolescents, because that's a specialized special specialty.
1: Yeah, and I mean, honest, I have looked. I'm like, I'm trying to find a black person that works with kids, you know. And people reach out to us and ask so. You know, if folks are interested in getting into that career, we definitely need more diversity. We need more of our people in there. We need folks who can see our babies, see black children, see black families, and not mislabel us as just bad and wrong. And actually see that there's pain and hurt and and trauma that needs to be healed, that there's a lot of healing that's needed. Um, Thinking about, I just said that could be a career. I was thinking about the teenage kind of age bracket, right? I think we said ages 15 to about 24 increased um, suicide rates. Um, I believe it's, uh, let's see, between 2013 and 2019, the suicide rate for ages 15 to 24 increased. For black males, it increased by 47%. And for black female youth, it increased by 59%, right? And I think about the teenage time as like when we put all this pressure, right? I have a a 13-year-old and I have Um, an 18 year old stepdaughter, right? And one's off to college, one's entering high school, right? And these are like such important years, we say, you know, we're like, we put a lot of pressure, they got to plan for their future. Um, They have to think about what careers they want and what college they want to go to. And there's just like all this added pressure. Um, And I wonder if that added pressure, you know, it's, it's happening for all kids. But I know that in the black community, we tell our kids, unfortunately, we tell them that they have to work twice as hard. Um, we have to tell them that they have to be twice as good as their peers. And that's just the added pressure on top of the other experiences they're having as just being adolescents. So do you think that we're putting too much pressure on our kids and that's adding to the stress? Um, What what can parents do instead of putting this pressure on our kids at this time when they are more vulnerable?
2: I do agree. Kids are under a lot of stress and it does seem... That maybe it's generational. Like all the kids are stressed about school and the workload, and I think in particular within within the Black community, there's stresses about parents are particularly worried about keeping their kids safe, making sure they be successful because we know how things can go wrong um, very easily. And um, and but those pressures, and particularly for certain kids, like certain kids may need a little direction in that way but some kids are worriers or they tend to become overwhelmed and those are definitely not the kids that we need to over to give more pressure about those things because when you think about it you know from adult perspective there's multiple pathways that you can go to be successful there's not one and so we really don't tell kids that as much it make it seem i've had seventh graders and this has happened multiple times, or given message and could be parents or even teachers, schools telling them that seventh grade is so, so important that that would determine their rest of their life. And that is not true. So, a seventh grader told me that if they don't get good grades. That means they won't get into a good high school, mean they won't get into a good college, and that means they'll be homeless. That is not how it works. And so there are these pressures put on kids, these messages that I think as adults, we do need to step back um, and think that there's multiple ways um, that kids can be successful and be who they want to be.
1: Wow, that sounds so familiar. Um, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. and it is a common thing, right? Like, oh, this year is the most important year of your life. This year, if your grades are bad, (laughs) this year, your your whole life is over, basically, because you don't get into this school, then you don't get into there, then you don't get a job, and then, wow, you end up homeless. It's traumatizing because kids really believe that is why people end up homeless, and there's so much more, right? Like, there's so much more that's at play, right? We talk about gentrification. We talk about houselessness, right? Like, if we do a systemic analysis, so parents listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast, know that that is not how people end up homeless um, and know that there's all these systems at play that are already creating barriers for our children. And so telling them to just keep working hard is like telling our kids to keep running up against a brick wall because these systemic barriers are in place. And so we need to tell our kids to be, to do what they love, to find out what that brings them joy and passion. We need to affirm them. We don't need to put this pressure for them to fit into some box and to... to to continue to play this monopoly game that's rigged, anyways, for our people, and so yes. I do know that that pressure is heavy. I remember it, um, and sometimes we put it on ourselves. To be honest, like sometimes it's not parents. I remember as a teenager, I just had this, like I I wanted to see that same track that that seventh grader that you talked to. I was that person, and I put all that pressure on myself. And so sometimes parents don't even see it. We see, we think that it's the ones who are like sad and who are not. Um, who are not performing well are the only ones who are dealing with mental health stuff. But it's also those ones who are like the superstars, who are great at everything, who are straight A's and getting all the scholarships, right? There's also a level of pressure that they're putting on themselves that they cannot fail. And so I think we have to be, you know, mindful of those who are like super successful, superstars um, as well, because... A lot of it, all of it is just over, we're over pressurized in this, in this country. And then also as black people, there's a lot of pressure and a lot at stake. And and I know that parents want our children to do well. We want them to succeed. We want them to be safe. Um, but I think that safety lives in us as parents, making sure that they are emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically well. And they might not be, they might not drive the fastest car, have the biggest house or have the best degree, but are they well? Are they Okay. Are they feeling good about themselves? You know, I think those are the questions that um, the curiosities, like how we define success for our babies may need to shift considering this data. Um, It doesn't need to be the external success. It's about their internal success and wealth uh, and well-being. Um, And so I do... I think this is such an important work and we do need to keep having these conversations. Um, Rhonda, is there anything else you want to share with folks um, about the research that you're doing and the work you're doing and share how folks can get in contact with you and learn more about what you're up to?
2: I think we've addressed a whole host of issues. And so I think there's resources out there. You can find me at uh, CHOP Policy Lab. Um, We have a website and Actually, Policy Lab has a lot of resources about COVID, mental health, but also intergenerational, and they do blogs and also try to put our research to implement policies and changes. And so that's one place that you can um, find out more information about me.
1: Awesome. So Dr. Rhonda is available at www.policylab.chop.edu. And that is the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Thank you so much, Dr. Rhonda, for spending time with us and sharing with us um, and blessing us with this information. Um, It is a clarion call to Black families, Black parents, Black communities um, to check in with our babies to make sure that they are well. And also to take care of ourselves so that we can show up whole for our children Thank you so much for this time.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to this very important topic. We hope that you now feel informed and also compelled to help address the crisis of Black youth suicide amongst Black children and young people. So if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health concerns or suicidal thoughts, please, I encourage you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to connect with a live, trained counselor. Or you can visit their website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org.